Rabbis call him pastor. Pastors call him rabbi. His patients call him doc. And his New York family calls him Meshuggah. Crazy. Because he believes in Messiah. Welcome to this episode of To Life, where Miles Weiss highlights the hope behind the headlines. Shalom and welcome to this edition of To Life, the hope behind the headlines. As you know, we've been tracking with you the updates from Israel and trying to stay in touch with our friends on the ground there. Today we have return guest Itamar Marcus of Palestinian Media Watch. Uh, They have the heroic task of keeping an eye on the Middle East, keeping an ear to the ground and providing incredible service for the Judeo-Christian world and for the Western civilization which is now under attack by barbarism in a very flagrant way. So, Itamar, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us from Israel. Thank you very much, Miles, for inviting me. It's a pleasure always to talk to you. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I think for those of our listeners that don't know you, can you just give a little background of PMW, Palestinian Media Watch? Yeah, uh, Palestinian Media Watch was founded a few years after the signing of the Oslo Accords. That was the deal in 1993 that created the Palestinian Authority. Uh, we were founded in 1996. We wanted to know what was really going on in the Palestinian world. Uh, they, 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 they spoke a good game of peace when they would speak to American diplomats and, and even to Israeli diplomats. But we wanted to know what was really happening. So we, we started following their official media. We started reading their daily newspapers, especially the government-controlled newspaper. We started... Uh, we did reports on their school books. And what we found is that they were duping the entire world, uh, duping the Israeli government, um, the Americans, everyone who was involved had this perception that Yasser Arafat and the PA were honest uh, peace partners. And in fact, in fact, we exposed that their, pe- their leadership openly said that the whole purpose of the Oslo Accords was to get inside, to get closer, to be able to continue terror from a closer uh, from closer. Prior to the Oslo Accords, the PLO was staged, was, was based in Tunisia. The, the, the Oslo Accords allowed them to come literally into the land of Israel, establish bases in Judea and Samaria and in the Gaza Strip, and we have had nonstop terror ever since. For Israel, the Oslo Accords were a disaster. For the Palestinian Authority, they were an overwhelming success. They got exactly what they were hoping for. Yeah, and they distanced themselves from, for example, the most recent barbarism from Hamas. The PA comes across, again, as you're saying, through deception, has our entire nation, seems to me, uh, in its sway, in that now there's calls for, okay, let's, if, if the Israelis get Hamas out of Gaza, let's put the PA in there because they're the moderate ones. Can you speak to that? Yeah, that's the that's the ultimate myth because it was, in fact, the Palestinian Authority who's been in charge of Palestinian education and majority of its messaging through its television stations and its summer camps and you name it, uh, uh, they were in charge of everything and they're the ones who created the Hamas. They didn't mean to create the Hamas, but what happened was the following. They were teaching their kids why they should hate Jews, why they should hate Israelis, why Israel had no right to exist, why Israel had to be fought, why they should die and be martyrs. Kids grow up with these messages. They reach 18, 19, they say, hey, wait a second, we've learned all this hatred. The ones who are doing it the best are Hamas. Why should I stay with, with the Palestinian Authority or Fatah? And literally, it was the Palestinian Authority with their education, with their messages, they created the Hamas, the, the horrific massacres and slaughter and rapes and all the 
unspeakable and unimaginable things that happened on, on October 7th were the direct result of the education and guidance and messages of the Palestinian Authority. Yeah, I know that for my, my own education, your website and your work has been very, very important because you actually have videos of the teaching that's going on in in preschools and kindergartens where the uh, Mickey Mouse figures are used to teach kids how to hate and how to stab and how to become a shahid or a, a martyr, so-called. Uh, it's it's devastating to see. We we recently released a video. We released it this summer of of a Palestinian of a number of Palestinian Authority summer camps. One of them was literally the 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 kids in the summer camp, the teenagers in the summer camp were were doing the same kind of things that literally happened a couple of weeks ago when Hamas invaded. You saw they they had their heads all covered. They would run across the rooms and they would pick up other people, you know, kidnapping them. They'd bring them out. They'd throw them on the ground. They would go through the the motions of stabbing them, go through the motions of shooting them. Literally, this is what was happening in a summer camp. You didn't see basketball. You didn't see soccer. You didn't see sports. You saw them learning how to kill efficiently. And this was Fatah. By the way, one of these summer camps, believe it or not, was actually happening under the guidance of the Palestinian Authority Security Services, which are funded and trained by the United States and other Western countries. Yeah, and that brings us right up against the the current moment where the nations are being weighed in the balance regarding uh, barbarism or Western civilization, civilization at all. And so... Uh, what about that? What about the, the, the current fantasy in the United States government and among many of our people because of the mainstream media that, uh, in fact, we're, we, there's, there, if we send aid to Gaza, that that will be a signal that Israel is being, is moderating or being, uh, what's the word they use, uh, for proportionality, uh, which is so crazy when you think about Dresden or, or Hiroshima or, any of the other battles that have been fought in this world, they, there's no such thing as measured uh, revenge or response, rather. It's just, it's incredible that Israel alone is held to a completely different standard. And tell us about what, what we really think will happen with, quote-unquote, aid going into Gaza. Well, first of all, just in terms of um, uh, what they call about proportionality, um, mm. Israel, every single Palestinian who was killed by an Israeli bomb in Gaza, it's the Hamas responsibility. They have placed themselves amongst the civilian population under international law. Israel has every right to go and shoot terrorists. There's no nothing in international law that says you, if you see terrorists and you see civilians around them, you have you have the right under international law. If you see soldiers and they're hiding behind civilians, you have a right to shoot the soldier, even if there is a chance that some of the civilians are going to be injured and even killed. Because the soldier who's hiding amongst them or the civilians who are giving their, or, or, or allowing themselves to be used as human shields are responsible. They're the ones responsible. So the international community is very happy, as always, to blame Israel, uh, even though we just underwent a massacre of, it's just uns, unspeakable, unimaginable proportions. Uh, someone did the figures and said that you know, 9-11 in the United States, there were close to 3,000 people who were killed. Israel lost 1,400 people. And, and, and if you do it by population, that would be 80,000 Americans having been killed in one day. That's, that's what's going on here. 
Um, and now we have to go and fight. And even the fighting, you know, America sent its army there. America sent its army to, to go after Al-Qaeda um, uh, around the world. Uh, and those were trained soldiers. We, we're, we're sending 300 and I think it was 50,000, 350,000 um, young men who are all in reserves were called up. Now, you, you just have to understand what's going on. In, in, in many neighborhoods of young people, there's virtually not a man around um, because everybody's gone. Think about that. The, we have a population of, you know, let's say, I don't know, about 7 million or so, 8 million uh, Jewish population. We've got a couple million Arabs. Um, and you're talking, that's a, that's a massive amount of the population of young of young men. So, um, uh, so, so it's not just what they did. It's that we're fighting this war and the war... And because we're such a small country, um, everybody knows. I, uh, I mean, right today I found out that uh, a close, close friends of ours, close friends for for years, um, since since uh, since I moved to Israel, their 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 son was killed in the uh, as a soldier yesterday, and and uh, and his cousin, who I also knew the father, know the father, was killed on October seventh. So. This is going to, as we go and try to eliminate the terror, people, everybody's going to be hearing, everybody's going to be knowing someone. This is not a distant army, you know, going off to Iraq. This is right around the corner. At the same time, at the same time, we're getting missiles landing. There's still every day since this started, there are missiles landing all over the country. Uh, all the little kids are running into bomb shelters. Um, what are the traumas going to be afterwards for them? Who the heck knows? But this is... Uh, this is um, a war of survival right now for Israel, and if anyone's going to come and tell us to be to start worrying about the civilians who are acting as, as human shields for the terrorists, go speak to someone else, because we have to fight this war in a way that will save our soldiers' lives, eliminate Hamas, and, and get on with our regular life. What's your understanding of, of Hezbollah's limited involvement so far? Are they wait, counting, counting the cost of what happens if Israel turns? On that side, I think uh, I think Hezbollah was waiting to see Israel faltering, Israel weak, Israel indecisive, and then they might they might have thought that um, okay now is a sign of weakness. Um, Israel has not been indecisive. Israel immediately immediately started literally flattening all the areas where the terrorists were using um, for their infrastructure, and. The, the ruins of, of Gaza are a warning to, to Hezbollah. Uh, Beirut could look the same way in a week as Gaza does if Hezbollah would dare start to fight. So I think they understand that. I mean, they, they could do serious damage to Israel, but I don't think, um, I don't think Nasrallah wants to end up uh, you know, buried in, in his bunker under uh, you know, five stories or ten stories, whatever the building is above him, of, of rubble and, and never getting out again. So uh, I, I think that is uh, his consideration right now. Israel has shown that we don't care what the world says, we're going to do what we have to do. If he were to start, like I say, Beirut would look just like Gaza, and he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, I, and he, he's on site, but I think that uh, maybe our, our audience doesn't know that many of the top leadership of these terror groups, these proxy groups who are on, they, they live in luxury in other countries. Exactly, exactly. The... The day, the day that this terror atrocity happened, um, the Hamas leadership in Qatar, I think it was Qatar or was it Turkey? I think it was in Qatar. Yes. 
It was yes. got a video of themselves praying down and thanking Allah for this great victory of the slaughter of, of Jews. Um, so uh, they, they don't want to be there. They don't want to get hurt. I, I think Israel should go to Qatar and bring them all back and put them on trial or or bring back their bodies. You know, it's uh, they should not have immunity, given the fact that they were a major part of this planning, raising the money for it. Um, they, they should spend the rest of their lives in jail. How long have you lived in Israel, Yilmaz? I moved to Israel in 1975. Okay, so then I'm a little older than you, but I think that I, I have to ask what your what, what's your take on the incredible drift? Where were we? How asleep was this nation, USA? I'm speaking of that we allowed our our universities to be taken over by uh, just an incredible level of indoctrination, both Marxist and Islamist. You know, the we've been watching this happening. Uh, I've been watching this. I've been seeing the signs. I've been warning everybody who I know up and down for years. I saw the I saw what happened when I would speak in universities, and I've spoken at dozens of universities, uh, not not since COVID, but before then, and you know the ten you know the tens of years before then, and I saw what was happening. Um, you know, the, the the crowds were becoming much more unruly. Uh, they didn't care. I, I spoke. I remember at um, where was it York University in in Toronto, and the police literally had to take me out a side door because I was surrounded by a Muslim, an angry Muslim crowd, and they were angry and screaming because they had no. I had answers to all of their questions, and I and I showed videos, and I showed what the PA was, and I showed what Fatah was. And they were they were embarrassed, and and because of their their embarrassment and their shame, um, they started yelling and screaming, and literally surrounded me up there. And they, the police come and said, "Take your computer, <laughs> put it in your bag, and we're walking you out the side door." Um, and by the way, they did this while the dean of students was sitting in the audience, and they didn't even care um, because they know that there's no such thing as disciplining. Um, Muslim anti-Israel rioters on, on campus because uh, they get a free they get a free pass and if you say anything about the the, right. the Islamist riots on campus they, they say, oh Islamophobia that's that's the um, that's that's the call but it has nothing to do with Islamophobia it has to do with um, facing a reality and the reality is that uh, and, and look today today everybody's recognizing it I experienced it and many people experienced it for years and you know they say the writing was on the wall my god it wasn't writing it was you know it was a gigantic script and it was in paint and it was as big as you you know you could imagine and for some incredible reason um the universities uh, the boards of trustees of the universities uh, the, the jews on the board of trustees of the universities who were giving them all of their money um just ignored ignored the hatred that was going on one of the ways that this happened by the way it didn't just happen you know the 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 Arab wealth from the oil money already you know after the 1970s what they did is they came to the universities and they offered them massive amounts of money you know that you know you come to a university where these presidents are going around all the time to, to beg for a grant for this and a grant for that and all of a sudden you know they're you know we'll build you a medical school if you also create a uh, an Islamic studies program and a Middle Eastern studies program and if you make this person, the head of the Middle East studies, and of course he's a, you know, be a, a rabid anti-Israel um, Muslim, uh, and 
and all of a sudden they, they, they did this successfully. I mean, they had a very long-term plan. Uh, and today you have already second generation of professors who grew up with those original professors and they're, they're, the whole university is inundated with this kind of hatred. Students can't get good grades if they write truth about Israel. The professors will fail them. Um, so it, it just makes it makes it impossible for... I, I, I see eventually um, within a certain number of years there are going to be a, a lot of a number of universities opening up in Israel and American Jews, British Jews, French Jews are all going to be coming to Israel to get a good education. It's going to be a loss for the United States, a loss for the other Western countries. It'll be a gain for Israel. Uh, and it's a shame that that's why people have to you know, run away, but ultimately they have to care about their lives and have to care about getting an education in a place where they don't feel like there's, there's you know, people walking around with knives and you know, happy to stab them in the back if, they, if they're not looking. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the intellectual suicide of the American universities is profound, but also this uh, current, the current wave, this current wave since October 7th, where Jewish people in the USA are being attacked and or getting uh, uh, barricaded in their dorms at colleges or all, all this mishigas, my grandmother say, all this, all this craziness that's going on. Um, but it's the same spirit that we saw in the middle of 20th century out of Germany. Yes, yes. There's. Um, I, I heard someone speaking today, someone who was an expert in Holocaust studies, and he was saying that there were a number of parallels between the the scope. Of course, was different, but there were a number of parallels between the behavior of Hamas and the Palestinians um, on uh, October seventh, and the behavior of the Nazis. The first thing he said was that. Um, he said, if you look at the pictures of the Nazis while they were committing their atrocities, and if you look at the pictures of the Palestinians, they're all smiling, they're all happy. They're enjoying the torturing of Jews. He said, that is absolutely what we saw. They were happy. Um, the second thing he said is, they, didn't, they weren't interested in just killing the Jews. They were interested in making them suffer. I mean, the stories, the gouging out of the eyes, the multiple rapes, the cutting off of the limbs, um, the unimaginable story of the baby that was put in the oven in front of yes. his mother and father. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the story, again, you can't, you can't even speak them, you can't even say them, you can't imagine that there could be people. But this is what he was saying. He said the Nazis also wanted the people to suffer. So those are two very, very uh, significant things. Um, it's, and um, so the Nazis claimed that they were doing this on behalf of humanity, and the Palestinians claimed they're doing this on behalf of humanity. The Nazis said that the Jews were really the one, I mean, this he didn't talk about, but this is what I'm saying. The Nazis' ideology, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sentence that Hitler put in Mein Kampf, when I defend myself against the Jews, I'm fighting the word, the work, uh, I'm doing the work of the Lord. So wow. yes. here, he said, uh, when I defend myself, he said it was self-defense. Well, do you know what Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, said on October 7th in the afternoon? He said, we have a right to defend ourselves. That's how he responded to these atrocities. We have the right to defend ourselves. 
killing yeah. Jews for self-defense. Nazis, Hitler, and Mahmoud Abbas. It's all a matter of, uh, of self-defense. The second thing, I'm doing the work of the Lord, is exactly what the PA has been saying all along. Fighting Jews is what God wants, is what Allah wants. The Jews are a threat to humanity. They're a danger to humanity. Every time you kill a Jew, you're bringing the world closer to redemption. So in terms of the ideology, there are similarities, distinct similarities between Nazism and uh, Palestinianism, I'll call it. Because it's not just Hamas, it's the Palestinian Authority as well. There's Nazism and there's Palestinianism. And in the behavior of the Nazis and the behavior of the Palestinians, um, there was a, a definite similarity. Of course, the big difference, and I would say the only difference, is that the Jews were weak in the 1930s and 40s, and the Nazis could do what they want. And now we have the State of Israel, and that's why the Muslim world, uh, led by the Palestinians, cannot do what they want. That's the big difference. Yeah, and that's the the uh, the standard lie is I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm only anti-Zionist, but the only place we're safe in this world is within Israel, where we can be safe because of the the, the strength that we've developed, Israel has developed over the years, but it's just uh, ironic. And it was, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is very clear about it. He said, make no mistake about it. To be anti-Israel is to be anti-Semitic. To be anti-Zionist is to be anti-Semitic. And that distinction is just a false, a falsehood that uh, leads people to wind up where we are now. Between the dissolution of the university system and critical thinking and actual history and all the revisionist history that they're taught to see these I just hard for me to control my language when I think about these college kids out on the street in the name of every quote unquote liberal cause aligning with Hamas not realizing that if they were to have their way these guys would be the first to go uh, it's just uh, it's pathetic it, it just shows you that there's the common <laughs> The, you know, when, when there's a, the hatred of Jews amongst a lot of these groups is so great that they're willing to align with people who, who hate them. Jews don't hate them. Jews have worked to support their causes all along, be it the uh, black causes and the gay causes. Jews have been there for everyone, even for Muslims. Yes. Jews have been there for all of them. And all of these people are willing to align with, people, with, with Hamas, <laughs> who would, like you said, would, would immediately eliminate them were they in control of, of, of a state where they were living. So it's uh, uh, the power of hate. It's just um, unimaginable. You hear in their own words saying different things. I must have been on your website where I saw this montage of uh, Arafat shaking hands with the U.S. president, and then the next frame was him. You know, that was the English version, the Western version of what we all saw. And the next frame was him yelling jihad 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 like with one message for the arab speaking world and one message for the naive west and you guys are at the forefront of bridging that gap and helping westerners to understand or let's say uh, forward-thinking nations to to understand that what's being taught said and and inculcated into the young arab minds it's so sad yes it is yes it is and uh Look, we, well, like I said, we started at the beginning in, in 1996. We had no idea what we'd come up with. Um, uh, literally, I would say in a month or two, we realized that no one in the world knew what was really going on. We'd already seen enough. We knew that the Palestinian Authority was giving hate messages to its people. We knew that the world didn't know it. 
we started bringing it to the Israeli press, and the Israeli press didn't believe. I mean, they just said, "Oh no, what are you talking about? There's peace now. There's peace. It's all that's all history." Mm. The naivete of the Israeli, primarily left-wing controlled press, was just unbelievable. It was tragic because they they really suckered the Israeli population into a. They 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 put them in a slumber. Yes. And it was that slumber that led to the first terror war, the the, the Intifada, the four years of suicide bombings, uh, in which 11, 1,200 people were murdered by suicide bombings and tens of thousands were injured. Uh, suicide bombings, drive-by shootings. But it only happened because they were stuck. We were already publicizing. We'd already done a report on school books. We'd already, you know, we, we were warning about this to everyone. I remember after the... The Intifada started, which they call Intifada. It's, it's a terror war. Uh, after they started their terror war in um, September 2000, um, one of the newspapers, uh, the, the the big newspapers at the time, Arif, interviewed interviewed me for their weekend magazine. A, a long story, like three or four pages, and he opens the article with a quote from a letter that I'd sent to all the members of the Israeli government. And he said, this is the letter that Ito Marcus sent to the Israeli government, da, da, da. and he reads it. And it basically is warning about what we were already suffering from, this terrible, terrible, terrible war. And he said, the Israeli government was sleeping. And they said, no, they weren't sleeping. They were in a coma. Mm. Um, and, and, and that is the reality of what happened. Israel was suckered into it by... I would say a, a certain political ideology that said the the Palestinians are are okay and don't tell us that they're not okay. We're just going to give them some land, we'll have peace, and you know, oh God, and and look look at the tragedies we've had because of it. Uh, look, the greatest tragedies, you know, uh, the greatest successes in, in in warfare have always been, you know, uh, very often been preceded by deception. Um, look at. Uh, Hitler's deception with uh, prior to World War II. I just want Sudetenland. I just want this. I just want that. Give me this. Uh, he, he then made a deal with with Russia. You know um, that they, he wouldn't attack Russia. And then when he was strong enough, he felt uh, in one side. Then he attacked East and, and attacked toward Russia. He he just made deals. And not to mention the fact that the United States was busy talking with the Japanese as Pearl Harbor was bombed. And of course, there's the classic message of the Trojan horse. Um, yes. So deception, and and you know you'd think you'd think that our leaders of our countries, you know, would be a little bit students of history, and know that just because your enemy comes to you and says, "Okay, I decided I love you from now on," that you're <laughs> not supposed to believe them. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to believe them um, without real proof. Uh, I'll never forget. At the time, there was a very strong movement against against this treaty, uh, the Oslo Accords, with the Palestinians. And the left-wing mantra at the time was, of course there are enemies. You don't ever make peace with your friends. You don't have to. You only make peace with your enemies. So it was like, oh, you see, you, you, they were justifying the hatred coming from the Palestinians because that's why you have to have a peace treaty, because they're your enemies, right? That's what we do. So they, they used every justification imaginable, and uh, that, this is what it this is what it led to. So, what do you see unfolding in the next few weeks? Do you think that uh, 
well, who can say how how bad it's going to get? But uh, do you think that that the that Hamas is is playing the world by uh, releasing a hostage here and a hostage there, and just prolonging the agony for the Israelis? I I think that uh, yeah, I don't believe they're going to ever give up um, the 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 majority of the hostages uh, because mm-hmm. um, because that's their uh, that's their that's their leverage. Um, right. We we could you know if we if we know you know that the leadership is in the same tunnels with a hundred hostages, are we going right. to blast and kill the leadership or we're not? So that's what they're doing. They're, they're obviously using them as uh, as human shields. They already said today that Israel's attacks in the last few days have killed some hostages. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hear the number that they said, um, and I don't know if it's they're true. Not, yeah, they're not known for truth in numbers. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, so um, so that's what uh, so to say. What's going to happen in the next while? Israel is going to keep moving ahead. Israel's going to keep moving ahead. Uh, hopefully, we won't have tragedies like we had. But the, the majority, most of the people who were killed, we we've already lost fifteen soldiers. Apparently, we've killed a few hundreds of Hamas terrorists, but that's nothing. They have, uh, right. as you would say, thirty thirty or so, thirty five thousand terrorists. Uh, we killed about 3,000 uh, of those terrorists in the original ones who came across and in the, in the initial bombings. So then we killed another few hundred. It's it's really not it's not gonna it's not gonna decide the battle. So uh, and and we can't afford to lose 10 people in two days. We lost uh, apparently seven or eight people, unfortunately, in one tragic missile, uh, anti-tank missile hit a. Um, uh, a personnel carrier and um, killed, I think, apparently everybody, almost everybody inside, or everybody inside. So, so that's that's the um, that's what we have to be afraid of. You know, we, we we cannot afford to lose even one extra life. I mean, uh, for those families, it's uh, it's the end of the world. So, we we have to do it as quick as possible. And if you ask me, we should be bombing more and using uh, our foot soldiers less. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, yeah, it's just, there are no good answers. I'm not a military person and I'm not an Israeli. So I, I tend to be cautious about my opinions, but I, I really believe that uh, Israel cannot be restrained by outside forces, other nations, certainly not the United Nations, that would be insane. But also even, you know, America, we've been so, so, uh, inconsistent with Israel, especially now that we're in what I call Obama 3.0 as uh, his third term. And so it, just the the animus that he has towards Israel and to the Jewish people is now playing out through the people that have been placed in, around Biden because Biden is not able to track right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, Biden... He's interesting. On the one hand, he's 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 spoken beautifully about supporting Israel, right. um, and he didn't just speak. I mean, the money, the, the the amount of money that he wants to give us is is going to be necessary because, you know, we don't have stockpiles of of arms for three or four months of war, um, because it would be you know insane to have that kind of a stockpile, because um, uh, we've never had those kind of wars. Uh, but it seems like that's what's going to happen now. Uh, and if Hezbollah decides to join, we certainly need that. So we're very appreciative of the United States. On the other hand, 
um, the, the one leverage that we had to to get our to get our hostages freed would be if the Palestinian population in Gaza would would rise up against the Hamas leadership and say we're all dying here without food, without water, um, without medicine. Uh, you you have an obligation to save us, and the only way you're going to we're going to be saved is if you free those hostages. In other words, we 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 had to create a rift between the population and Hamas, and by Biden insisting that we that we send in what he calls humanitarian aid, uh, he didn't he, he prevented that rift, and by preventing that rift, we still have 240 hostages. Well, we are standing with Israel. This audience is standing with Israel. We always have, we always will. And Itamar, I want to thank you for spending time with us. I know how busy you are. Uh, how can people get a hold of you and donate to what you're doing? Please, anyone who can help us, we we literally have to hire a few more people just to keep track of what's going on and to write more reports um, and, to, and to get the word out uh, to members of Congress and to members of European parliaments, uh, which we do, but we just have to increase. Anyone who wants to help us, you go to our website, palwatch.org, um, and on the website, it tells you how you can support us. You can also not just support us financially, you can also um, get our newsletter, our daily newsletter. You can be kept up to date what's happening. And you can also then pass it on to journalists who you know. You can call them up and say, you wrote this story. You missed the whole point. Here's the information. Uh, you can be a, um, a megaphone for us, you know, to, yes. to increase the, the scope and, and range of our information. And a lot of journalists actually appreciate that. And you have to be nice to them. Uh, you know, don't tell them you're an idiot. Tell them, I, I think you're missing some information here. I'd like to supply you. Um, and some of them are appreciative. Uh, because they realized that they did have the wrong story. So get over there. Go again. Palwatch.org. Go to our website. Um, get our information out there. And if you can, give us a contribution. That's perfect. We'll put that in the show notes as well, folks. A lot of you often write to me, email me, get in touch with me to ask Miles where do you, what are your trusted news sources, and what's safe to watch and listen to. And I want you to know that uh, Itamar Marcus and Palestinian Media Watch is a go-to for me. It's one of my most trusted resources. So I want to encourage you to stand with that group as well as with the Nation of Israel. Itamar, thank you so much. I will see you down the road. Thank you very much for inviting me and always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for listening. If you have been enlightened and encouraged by this podcast, please rate this episode with five stars and share it with all your friends. This really helps us spread these informative good news messages. To Life, Hope Behind the Headlines is produced by House of Peace, a tax-deductible 501c3 corporation. Visit us at mkhop.org and on Instagram and Facebook. And thank you for your donations. They really make these sessions possible.